Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Prayer makes you human. Prayer makes you human. And uh, talking to God, listening to God, is fundamental to being a human. Stu, there is a PowerPoint, but I remember I didn't put it in to the queue list. Yeah, sorry about that. We'll edit that out of the talk. So, prayer makes you human. Talking to God, listening to God, is fundamental to being a human. And uh, prayer, really and obviously, is an absolute game changer for us. But perhaps we get to dilute it a little bit. Perhaps the modern world dilutes what it means to pray. So you might see on uh, social media, for example, something happens, something that's not great. And then you'll see lots of people maybe uh, tweet or Instagram or whatever you might do um, that they are, they're thinking and praying. Thoughts and prayers might be something that they would say. Often now, actually, you don't even see people say that. They might say, sending good vibes to you. <laughs> or, or maybe even see sending hugs, which is a Facebook thing. And it's just, that's nasty. Especially when they do the little gif of a teddy bear hugging. It's sending hugs, not good. Um, and perhaps because of that, it's easy to forget what prayer is because we replace it with sentimental kind of uselessness in a funny way, that that sense of helplessness. And actually, prayer is uh, fundamentally important to who we are. So the very nature of what it is to be human, what we were created for, very simply talking to and listening to God's. It's our place in the universe. So let's just think about this. We're going to think about this a bit this morning. So we'll go to Genesis 1. If it's not behind me, go to your Bible. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. It is behind me. Well done, Stuart. (laughs) I set him little tasks by my own incompetence, and uh, he always um, does them. Right. So Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So to be human, to be a human is to be a little bit like God. Okay, it's a very bold statement, isn't it? But to be human is to be a bit like God. We are his image on earth. Okay, so what is going on? What, why does the author of Genesis write it in these terms? Well, when, uh, when Genesis was written in the place that it was written in the kind of um, ancient Middle East, there were lots of temples around. So a people group would build a temple to worship their gods. And in that temple that they built, there would be uh, either a stone or a wooden, some sort of human-made statue that they would then worship. It would be a representation of their gods. Uh, Depending on their belief, they may even have thought it was actually their gods or it was just an image of their gods. And so when we read Genesis, we are, especially these early chapters, we are reading the story of the creation of the world, right? But actually, it's the story of a temple being built, 
Okay, this Garden of Eden, this universe, actually is a temple. It's a place of worship to God. And this garden temple, this Garden of Eden, as we find it at this moment, had no statue in it. So when God built it, he didn't put a big stone or wooden statue of himself in the middle of it to worship. What he did put there was humans, male and female, in his image. So that's what we are. We are the image of God on earth. We are his representation. And we are put in this temple, in this universe, in this creation with purpose. And it's described, isn't it? To be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to have dominion. So to rule over all of creation. So God puts us as his image in the temple as his representatives to rule and to multiply and to be fruitful. But we know that the image is broken, so we worship other gods, we give our lives to other things, disobedience and sin uh, comes into our lives, we take part in them, and the image is broken, is shattered a bit. And the relationship with gods is broken. Uh, And actually, the story of the Bible is God looking to restore that relationship and repair the image, and repair our purpose to be fruitful, to be multiplying. We live in that today. That is still true today. So to be human is to be his image, to represent him. So in your work, in your university, in your studies, in your family, in your friendship groups, in any context you find yourself in, you are a representative of God's. So Cornelius this morning was telling me that he's about to start his own business. I think very exciting. And actually, that is an opportunity for him to be an image of God as he runs his business. And some of you are in the very early weeks of your degree, and you might just be thinking, I just need to get to the end of the degree and get my results and be done. But actually, it is an opportunity for you to be the image of God in your university. And in this, in being his image, being his representative, in that relationship is implicit. He is our creator. He is our father. Uh, We get to be with him. uh, And that is being restored. So to be human, to be the image of God, to be his representative, how we're built, how we're made, is also to talk to God, is to know him. A prayer makes us human. Uh, And today we're going to look at another story in Genesis. It's just a little bit further on uh, that shows Abraham talking to God. And in that prayer, actually, it's more of a conversation. We see how this prayer changes Abraham, draws good things out of him and how God teaches him as well. And Abraham, I think, has shown what it is to be a human what it is to be the image of God's and how he embraces that. So we're going to go to Genesis 18 and go to verse 16 and through to verse 33. And we will read this, uh, this prayer, this conversation between a human and God. It says, Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth earth, be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. 
Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord's. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous and the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from that you, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he, this is Abraham, spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh Lord, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will not speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. We see a fascinating conversation there between God and Abraham, where there is just a lot of stuff going on. And a few things happen. We see that there is a prayer here that is in relationship, isn't it? A prayer born of God's knowing Abraham and Abraham knowing God, and them talking things through. And in this prayer as well, we see God teaching Abraham. In fact, that's almost the primary thing that is happening in this prayer. Uh, Abraham likes to think it's about this thing that he, uh, that he feels deeply, but God is actually using this as an opportunity for teaching Abraham. God coaxes good things out of him because, as God said, Abraham has a purpose. The same purpose, actually, that we read earlier on in Genesis, to be fruitful and multiply. And God as well is teaching Abraham what it means to be human, fully human as God's intended. So we're going to pick out a few themes from this and see how that works, how prayer makes us human. And firstly, humans, we get to participate by our prayer. God wants us involved. Again, when a, when a tragedy happens, we've talked about this, haven't we, uh, where people will uh, tweet their thoughts and prayers. And in a, it's, it's a very modern statement of futility, isn't it? Of helplessness, often, of seeing something that's awful and feeling isolated from it and not knowing what to do. But actually, to pray is the most human thing we can do in that situation, it's more, uh, more human and more useful than actually posting on social media about it or actually trying to send your thoughts, whatever that looks like. Those things are largely pointless. But to pray, actually, is really very important. So just this week, uh, my wife Vicky, she works 
in the children's hospital. She works on them, uh, awards there that if your kid gets to that ward, they are very, very sick. It's not, uh, not good. And she phoned me and said, oh, a friend of ours is here. Their, their child is on this ward. They turned up. Uh, and so I messaged him straight away and said, look, I'm praying. And we were. We were praying for him. And actually, I knew lots of his other friends were praying as well. And that wasn't a statement of futility. That actually was the most human thing we could do at that moment. Now, we offered them food and all sorts of things and kindness and uh, those things that they need as well. And lots of other people did too. But to get before God and say, please, will you resolve this? Actually, is the most important thing we could do. Talking to the living gods is what we were actually made to do. So this story, this prayer that we've read about Abraham follows actually a very intense story that we, we haven't read today, uh, where they discover Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they can't have children and that Sarah actually is really, really struggling with her faith, struggling with her belief. And Abraham isn't handling it particularly well either. But God promises them a child within a year. And then God takes Abraham with him on this journey. Uh, and as a, as a bit of a side note, it's fascinating that God doesn't look at Abraham and go, he's not in a great place. Uh, his life is difficult. His faith isn't going very well. So I'm just going to bench him for a bit till he's grown up, until perhaps he's ready to trust in me. Actually, no, he takes him with him. And why does he do that? He says, I want Abraham to keep the way of the Lord, to follow my way of living. And I also want him to teach uh, his family and the generations after him to do the same. Because to be human, and this is important, is to be involved in the work of God. We are not on the sideline of creation. We're not spectators watching what God does. Actually, he calls us to be involved. And a huge part of that is our prayer, is what we pray about, is talking to God about what we see happening around us, what we see going on in the world. So we participate by our prayers, but we are also formed by our prayer as well. God wants Abraham to do righteousness and justice. That's the phrase he used. I want you to, to do righteousness and justice. It's interesting. He doesn't say to be righteous and do justice. He says to do righteousness and justice. It's a vital part of being God's people. So we participate in creation, right? So when we see suffering, uh, poverty, injustice, perhaps when we see it in our friends' lives, when we see difficult things happen, or when we see maybe things happening on a global scale, it's very easy to blame gods. And often you, you might hear people say that, well, there's suffering in the world. Well, why doesn't God sort it out? And you think, well, he did put us in creation as his image, as his representative. Perhaps he is doing something about it, Perhaps that thing is in fact you. We are here, we are given purpose by God to do righteousness and justice. And actually, this is a common biblical theme. In Isaiah, he says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation will come, my deliverance will be revealed. Keep justice and do righteousness. So we find God, he has heard reports about Sodom and Gomorrah, which is just a, a wonderful way that this story describes who God is. 
I like this idea that God somehow has heard what's happened. Like he has this bunch of angel spies around and one of them comes to him and says, I've got a bad report about this place. And God be like, oh, I didn't know. It's not like I'm omnipresent everywhere. I know everything. I'm outside of time. Uh, I can see all things happening all at the same time. And that's easy for me. Now, what God is doing is he is limiting himself so that Abraham can understand, so that he can um, uh, talk with God. Not in any sense that he is limited, but trying to help Abraham understand what's going on, trying to help him uh, be taught, uh, help him to learn what righteousness and justice is. And even this idea that God was on a journey to go and look for himself, he already knew exactly what was going on, but he wanted Abraham to grow and to step up. And Abraham thinks, I know what God is going to find in those cities. And as we pray, we are to seek out actually, what is God's heart for righteousness and justice? What is God going to think of this situation? You can see Abraham knew the heart of God, knew that actually when God sees this, he is not going to find righteousness and justice. Now we're going to pause for a moment. Let's hold Abraham in our heads and I'm going to bring another Bible character in who does, has a very similar story, at least this part of the story, to Abraham but reacts in a somewhat different way and it's, it's help for us, helpful for us to see that. So let's remember, remember Abraham but let's think about Jonah for a moment, okay? Now Jonah's story, I'm sure you all know it very well. Uh, Jonah uh, gets the call of God to go to the city of Nineveh and to tell them to repent. Okay, Abraham's uh, looking at a city, and Jonah is looking at a city. Um, uh, But Jonah reacts somewhat differently to this call and runs away. I'm sure you know the story, runs onto a ship. The ship takes him what he thinks is far away from God's. Again, that's another person with a very limited understanding of what God is. You can't actually get away from God's, uh, and God is not, you know, some limited person who hasn't heard about things. Um, And so he gets on the ship, and then God whips up a storm. And Jonah realizes oh, this is my fault. And he gets thrown overboard and swallowed by a big fish, which I'm sure we've all heard of happening. Um, so, but Jonah repents from inside the fish, cries out to God, is spat out of the fish, then goes to Nineveh and calls them to repent. And Nineveh repents. Brilliant story. Absolutely brilliant story. However, in their repentance, Jonah is very angry. He's very angry that what God has done. He's angry that God has forgiven Nineveh. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. God forgives this city. But then it says, but this displeased Jonah. And he was angry and he played, prayed to the Lord's, oh, not, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? Like I knew this was going to happen. That is why I ran away. I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relenting from disaster. I knew you were a good God, and these people don't deserve you, so that's why I ran away. It's what Jonah says. So compare Jonah to Abraham, okay? Both stories have God looking at a city, a city that is doing badly, where there is no justice, there is no righteousness, where there is idolatry, where they are actively running away from God's. And Jonah decides that he is going to run from God's because he wants God to punish them. But Abraham draws close to God's and begs for mercy. It's very different, isn't it? God is about mercy, righteousness and justice. Abraham is formed by his prayers, 
by his relationship with God. He becomes a little bit more like the image of God, whereas Jonah runs away from it. Abraham wants to see repentance, and that's what God wants to see. He wants to see people confessing their wrongdoing, and not just using words, but actually their lives changing, living for something else, redirecting them back to God, becoming the images of God. And in that moment, there is mercy. And Abraham is taught this as he prays in this conversation. It shapes him, but Jonah runs away from the conversation. So humans are formed by their prayer. Uh, And finally, humans are revealed by God as we pray as well. So we see back in our story with Abraham, it says, So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the lords. Abraham drew near and and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Essentially, if you think about this, it's quite a bold move, isn't it? Think, okay, this uh, person is stood before him and he, Abraham understands this person to be God, to be the Lord's, and he goes and stands before him. It's almost like he's blocking his way to go where he's going, that God is saying, right, I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, have a look, and Abraham kind of stands in front of him, almost to stop him. And he steps forward to ask a question. And it's not even just to ask a question, it's actually to question what God is actually going to do. To say, God, are you sure about this? What are you doing? It's a very bold move. So why is he doing it? Well, we need to know a couple of things about Abraham. He had family living in those cities. So he had a nephew, a nephew called Lot, who lived in that city. And you might think, oh, okay, it's just because he knew someone there and that's why he doesn't want them destroyed. Well, actually, Lot and Abraham had fallen out. There had been a big dispute between the two sides of their families. And, uh, and actually, Abraham doesn't mention this relationship at all. The only thing he asks about is God's justice and righteousness. So I think for us to understand that prayer sometimes is standing before God and asking why. And perhaps that's hard for us to get, maybe. When uh, we see things that are difficult and that we struggle to understand, actually, we can maybe be a bit fearful of asking God why. Actually, to ask him why. Why is this happening? It's not a one-way conversation. Actually, it reveals us a little bit, reveals our hearts. And it reveals Abraham. We learn a few things about Abraham. We learn that Abraham knew God's mercy. And actually, uh, that changed him a bit. Abraham had received mercy from God because God had promised him that he would have children. Even though actually some of Abraham's behaviour over the years, probably he he shouldn't have got the mercy of God, but God gives mercy to him. And even though this hasn't been fulfilled yet, actually Abraham had faith in that. Jonah, on the other hand, received mercy from God, didn't he? He was spat out of the fish. He was spared, even though he'd run from God's. And yet he uh, didn't want mercy for others. Abraham wanted mercy, but Jonah didn't. And we see this difference between them as they pray. So Jonah, as he talked to God, he wanted retribution, not restoration. He wanted his enemies to be crushed. He was interested in punishment. These people have sinned. They are not good Christians. Lord God, you need to uh, deal with them very similar to the Pharisees that Jesus encountered. They knew the law of God. They kept the law of God, 
but they weren't interested in mercy and love like Jesus. Jonah's prayers to God were actually grateful for the grace that he received, but he didn't want other people to experience that grace as well. Perhaps actually there was some pride, some arrogance in him that thought, well, their sin is much worse than my sin. They don't deserve mercy. Abraham's prayer actually was formed by something very different. Abraham prayed because he had faith. Actually, he had hope for a better future. He hoped that God's mercy would actually spare the righteous. God had promised him this great and mighty nation that all families would be blessed through him. And in that, he had faith that God actually, God wants to restore, not destroy. That's what I'm going to pray. He also had faith that God would listen to him. That's why he kept asking him questions. He kept saying, well, if you would spare 50, what about 45? God's like, yeah, I'll spare 45. And he keeps going down till he gets to 10. And it's not like he was talking God into it. Actually, God was drawing this out of him. God was teaching. He was teaching Abraham what it was to have mercy. Abraham grows and slowly becomes more like the image of God's where he is. So prayer makes us human. As you go about your lives, as you perhaps try and carve out some time in your days, whatever that may be, whether it's you can get up early, whether it's when you're on the bus, whether it's in the evening, whatever it might be, if you carve out time to pray, you're making a very bold move like Abraham. Perhaps you're even in a situation where you're stepping in front of God and saying, well, why is this happening? What are you doing? In those moments, you are truly being human. That's part of your role as the image of God in Manchester, in your workplace, wherever you live, actually to step in front of God and say, Lord, what's going on? Why is this happening? We learn to keep the way of the Lord and we pass it on. Perhaps even in those moments, we begin to do righteousness and justice. And Abraham actually ended up rescuing his family uh, that were caught up in that city. God had taught him, God had drawn this out of him. Even this family uh, that he'd split up with, that had uh, uh, gone away from him, actually, mercy and justice meant that Abraham restored some of that relationship. Abraham grew in this, but Jonah ran from it. As we pray, we allow God's love to restore us. Just to finish, it's important for us to draw near to God's and ask those difficult questions. And sometimes that can be, it can almost feel a little bit tiring if you keep going to God's and you have the same question. But actually, that's what Abraham did. He kept going back with the same question. And it's a very bold move to give up some time, perhaps even to fast when you pray or something like that. But actually, to put yourself in front of God in those ways is very human.